Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. It's Tuesday, December 11th. This is On The Grid, episode 22. This week, we talk about the University of California rebranding and how people are responding to it. And we also discuss a question that we got in our email from Annie Stoll. This is On The Grid. Let's Let's go. go. Gentlemen, how's your week? You guys were were nice enough to delay podcasting for a day because uh, yesterday I, I cut the shit out of my lip when I was shaving. Like I have a safety razor and I just cut Ooh. a big chunk of my lip out mm-hmm. and then it just bled oh, and bled and it wouldn't stop bleeding for like five or six hours. And I thought for sure if you mess up for a while and then overnight, the shit just healed. Like there's still a mark, but it's totally like better. Lips wow. heal fast is what it comes down to. Well, nice. good job. I didn't, I, I wasn't quite sure how serious this was when you called, but uh, I mean, it wasn't like a serious to injury a podcast. Well, yeah, it wasn't like a serious injury, but there was like, I had to keep the blood off of my mouth actively for like six hours. We've been hard to podcast. I would have either having to like gone all in and just committed to having blood all down my face during the podcast, or I would have had to constantly been, you know, dabbing my lip with a paper towel. No, no, no. That would have been a wonderful Andrew WK moment. We could have had like that as one of the images for the podcast. I'm okay with it. That's just a don't pretty hardcore podcasting injury. <laughs> You're covered in blood. It's yeah. still an audio format, by the way, Dan. I don't know if you've, you've heard yeah yeah okay yeah, we, we missed a week basically uh we actually sort of accidentally took a week off you know because uh oh is that true actually i haven't even realized that are we yeah because we I mean, still technically. by accident yeah, yeah. but it was, what happened was i mean you guys were busy and i was out in palo alto for a week doing some work and so oh, that's we, right uh, we just I didn't record last week is what ended up happening yeah i you know it's been non-stop for me though i've been uh i've been working on a project of basically a whole 300 page book very heavily illustrated Ooh. in a super short period of time. So that's got me busy. And then when I got home on Friday this past weekend, my girlfriend said, guess what? What? All my jewelry got accepted into a pop-up shop in Brooklyn. We got to start selling it. Oh, cool. When? Sunday. Oh, <laughs> so no, that, that's awesome. <laughs> so and did, also a lot of it, work. It's awesome. And then we did the logo. We made up a name. Mm-hmm. We did a website. We did a web store. We did all the product shots. We made tags. You did this all on a weekend? Uh, in a day, actually, because we found out Friday night and mm-hmm. the, the stuff was selling on Sunday. Gosh. That's pretty incredible. I'm impressed. Yeah, I, I, I saw the logo. It's pretty cool. Thanks. Like, yeah, I we called it Faceteer. Faceteer.com. Yep. F-A-S-C-I-T-I-E-R. But go anyway, buy it, people. Well, uh, yeah, go go get a jewelry. Pay a, yeah. pay a couple bucks. Make it worth it, jerks. You know what I have to say? I like a uh, a marathon passion project. I even though I was super tired from the week, I really enjoyed that. Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. I can get super engrossed in something that I really care about and lose a whole weekend to it and not even notice and be happy yeah. about it. Speaking yeah, so I'm, of, I'm a tired man, but uh, for good reason. Yeah. Speaking of, I actually have something that's going to go way past a, a weekend and probably going to spend months of my life working on. Uh, I had just gotten in the mail one of these Raspberry Pis. Have yeah. you guys heard about those things? No. Oh God, I'm so excited. Oh, um, oh I think I actually know. Um, it's a, it's like a hacky computery kit. Yeah. So basically, it's just a board. It's a thirty-five dollar board. It's got like five twelve megs of RAM. Um, it's a functioning computer, basically. You know, it has all the necessary ports like USB and Ethernet and all the other fun little bits. And it's pretty much just right for doing whatever pet project you would ever want to do. Like so, what? What would you do? 
Uh, some guys have been doing like home automation systems using it. Uh, some guys have made like tablets and laptops. There's even uh, somebody who made like a a drone based off like using that and some Arduino stuff uh, all on top of a uh, an RC car. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just tons of stuff to do. So I have to figure out what I want to do and also how on earth I'm going to get this thing to work. So it's just it's one big open project and I couldn't be more excited about it. How does this relate to the Arduino? Is it a competitor? Is it integrate with? What's the situation there? It can integrate with because the Arduino is more towards uh, like physical mechanics. So you can, you know, plug in things like various pieces and like make something like a, a robot with moving limbs and, and all that fun stuff where the Raspberry Pi, while it could still do a bunch of that stuff and also combine with the Arduino, its primary thing is that it's uh, the company who makes it is a nonprofit. So the primary function is that it's a really, really cheap board that you can make really, really cheap computers of for impoverished nations and, and communities. And then they also sell it to the public so you can kind of like tinker with it. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, so I've only heard vaguely about both of these things, so I will yeah. be interested to learn more as you tinker. All right, we got two weeks worth of stuff piled up in our, our dock. Shall we? Uh, let's get take, to it. Take that let's trip. Do it. Yep. Take that little trip together. We're do it. Grab my hand. Let's 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 go for a walk. <laughs> Music time. First thing I want to talk about this week is the University of California rebrand. And this is actually something that came out in September, I believe. Uh, it was written about on Under Considerations blog a while ago. And it's a sort of new mark that the University of California released upon the world. But just recently, it started to get a lot of negative press. I think it's finally starting to be used and put into practice. And the alumni and students and all sorts of people are having a big outcry about it. So I kind of want to get your guys' top, top level thoughts before we dive into sort of all the different articles about this piece. I mean, basically... The University of California is the large organization that contains all the separate schools like Berkeley and Davis and Irvine and mm-hmm. uh, UCLA. So previously, their brand was very much downplayed because all the individual schools had their own sort of mark. And that spoke very loudly. And University of California was a sort of umbrella that was over top of all of it. The only aspect they had to their brand was a sort of seal, a very collegiate seal. And now they've introduced a very modern, clean mark uh, that's very different, very progressive. And uh, yeah, so I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. So I'll say my, my thoughts going into it before reading all the articles, before reading all of the controversy was, is this just another public outcry because the thing changed? And to a degree, I still think that it's starting to be this cry wolf thing. How mm-hmm. like every every week there is a thing everyone is upset about. Then the next week everyone forgets it because there's a new thing they're upset about. And I've read the articles, but I still kind of think maybe this is a thing people are upset about for a short time, and it will pass. And, you know, Andy, you posted the article, A New Baton. Do you want to get into that a little bit before I I give further thoughts? Or, Dan, what what do you think about this? Well, I'll just give a really brief, I guess, feeling of it. My very first initial reaction of the very first time that I saw it was that it felt a little bit cheap. Uh, compared to all the different universities that have very, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's just that their their brands and everything just felt more established. Exactly. This one, it just because it felt so new. My initial gut reaction was like, this just feels really cheap. Actually, but there I, have been like there have been recent rebrands. Stanford was really recent where they kind of just cleaned up a serif typeface, and that is you know it's very classic, very established. They're, yeah, it's a specific look. 
Um, Yale did it not too long ago with the custom Matthew Carter typeface, and that was again like, yeah, you hire Matthew Carter; he'll do a, a beautiful Sarah for you. It, you know, it's 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 both stuffy and you know, not nothing to get upset about. Yeah, it's I both mean, of like, those things. The the university that Angie had attended is the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and they have a very much modernized brand, but it still mm-hmm. it feel it still feels very established. Or with this one, because of just the the shapes that they use and the grit the gradation that they use within the C of the mark, yeah, it just for me it felt a little bit cheap. But I mean, after I looked at it more, I realized that it is very flexible. It's something that they do have a very strong pattern with. But I still I I still have this I guess struggle of in between those two feelings. No, and I I think that's fair, and I think. I mean, I think there's the ultimate problem in that corporate design has been done so well that to do a really solid, simple mark means McDonald's now. And that's a, like, that's a little scary to me, but yeah, that's just what people think about it. And hey, there you go. But yeah, I mean, aesthetically, I actually do really like the mark and there's been a lot of negative press about it. But I remember Armin also liked it as well from, from brand new. I, mean, I think mm-hmm. it's successful and more importantly, it's, it's, different from other college branding and most college branding especially at that level is very collegiate very prestigious very you know seals and ornate typography and this is a very modernist sort of thing which i think is a good statement to say you're a progressive school and separate yourself from the other schools which are you know have that sort of claim to prestige i think it's kind of the pepsi coke argument we go back and forth on we've talked about you know occasionally which is that you know coke's got the you know timeless cola market cornered so if you're pepsi you can't very well also try and be timeless cola because you're not going to win in that area you got to separate yeah, I know. yourself it's, it's worth noting that y- university of california is never going to be yale it can be established exactly. and yeah in a, in a great school but it still can't be an ivy league school it's just it's not going to have that's that a different brand. thing that's always yeah. going to be a different thing well and, and we had this conversation just a couple of days ago the the family's here so we get in the these kind of talks especially with uh parts of our family being in college right now and the one thing that came up was the fact that colleges and universities decades from now are going to be online or whatever the equivalent is. And that this whole brick and mortar establishment thing is going to be going away very quickly just because of how prolific online education could become. And when you have a facade like this, where it's very fresh and very inviting, but also feels very, I guess, just I am at a loss of words today. No, I, well, oh, yeah, I, contemporary. Think contemporary. Yeah, I don't think that's true at all, though. I don't think we're going to see brick and mortar educational institutions go away there's a certain level of quality and kind of experience you get from being at a place that i think can't be replaced i mean a huge part of my education was being in a community of active and interesting artists and Mm -hmm. that would never have been able to have been emulated online so i I don't think we're going to see brick and mortar education go away yeah i don't think we're going to see it just completely be obliterated i i think that online education is just going to become more abundant no i I agree with dan i but i do agree that that you can't it's not going to go away but of course it's it's only going to get less it's not going to get more well i mean you know there might be more places but they'll offer more online opportunities but it's also interesting that dan you did much of your schooling online and andy you did uh none of your schooling online yeah no none of it so there you go yeah yeah (laughs) dan you're from the future no you mentioned mentioned the uh the a different baton article which i posted i got to this from alan tan on twitter thank Mm -hmm. you alan uh, this is a very interesting, extremely opinionated piece uh, by Aaron Brady, and it basically talks about the rebrand outside of the design context, design in the traditional sense. So we're talking about, you know, the shape and the colors and the you know tone and how that changes the perspective of the school and all these sort of things that designers can talk about. Uh, he talks about how specifically because of the extremely 
harsh response from alumni and from current students and how much people hate it, that alone, it means it's not a successful rebrand. And it doesn't matter what it looks like, doesn't matter how great it may be constructed or crafted. The whole goal is supposed to be to represent these students and these alumni and did not do that. So therefore, it is a failure. And he mm. sort of paints a comparison to the the pepper spray incident that happened at UC Davis during the Occupy movement uh, and sort of how that's a symbol of the higher level institution making decisions and doing things without regard for the students and the alumni and the faculty and the actual people that are a member of the institution. Mm-hmm. And he sort of compares this logo to that exact same thing and says that this is a this is UC California asserting themselves as, you know, a top down institution. And it's for that reason, you know, symbolic of this really intense change. And that's why people are reacting so strongly against it, because it is, in fact, you know, a reminder that UC California is, you know, it's a big institution and it's got leaders and it's not really there to represent the voices of the students and the faculty or is it? Uh, so I'm curious just to hear what you guys think about that. I think, okay, so I think there's two ways to approach this. One is that isn't every logo redesign always done that way? Not not, not, not 100%, but 99% of logos are, re, are redone that way. But then again, is that also why everybody's always mad about every re, redesign ever? And then the flip side of that is how do you want them to do it? Do you want them to just put a, a public call out to students and say, hey, everyone go out there, design a logo, We'll just pick the best one. Hmm. I, I, I mean, historically, that doesn't work very well. well I, I do think there is a difference. And I think the difference is that the brands we have the strongest connection to in our lives are the ones we've invested the most in, be it the most time or the most money or the most whatever. So I think, I think by their very design, a school is an extremely emotional and important brand to people because you have invested not just a lot of time, but also a lot of money if you have a degree from an institution. And right. we've seen in the past college rebranding have some insane reactions i remember specifically the the michigan state helmet that they redrew and improved just a little bit like changed it a little bit maybe made the lines a little cleaner and michigan state like threw a whole shit fit until they replaced it with the old less well-drawn helmet and from anyone else's perspective outside the school it was still just a spartan helmet that didn't yeah. there was no fucking difference between it so <laughs> and, and matt i mean i know you've been you've i've seen been on the, the inside of it you've been too, on the like, inside baseball of, of the big 10 sort of change so i think that yeah it's not uncommon for people to respond really strongly to university rebranding and because of how invested they are in it. And the Big Ten one is another example of we redesigned the Big Ten one and it's gone away. It is exactly what the design experts say. I know they they scoff at like, oh, well, you're going to discount our feelings and blah, blah, blah. But if your feelings are going to change next week, then they're going to get discounted. So I don't want to be the the callous jerk, but if, if these guy. things go away so quickly – then yeah, no one's going to pay attention to you. If you if yeah. you only get mad for a half a second, then nobody cares and it's a it's a cry wolf incident. Yeah. So anyway, I think that that's I think it is different than people getting mad that IKEA switched to Verdana or that the Gap has some shitty logo because nobody is as invested in IKEA and the Gap except maybe for people that work for IKEA and the Gap as they are in their alma mater or their institution of education. Yeah. So, but that's just but that point your point Matt is that I don't think that educational institutions should just keep everything the way it looks whenever the students came through because they know everyone's going to get pissed off if they're you know misrepresented by some new brand right Uh, and it's also worth noting this was all done by an internal team that was hired three years ago they didn't hire an outside design agency Uh, it was a team of 11 people that was entirely internal it's actually very interesting that's so rare the last time i've seen something like that was i think the new york public library like you'd rarely see an internal team redesign and a, a large system it's it's worth noting i mean it's it wasn't outside oh, definitely yeah i mean it wasn't an outside group it was a group specifically brought in to the inside to sort of figure out and sort of paint a new vision for university of california moving into the future so and they said they spent three years doing it which is 
a notable amount of time. I mean, a lot of rebrands happen in six months. Yeah, I think I think the work looks really good, especially for an internal team, which sometimes the internal teams are not, you know, don't do the kind of work that is the same caliber that a professional agency can do. But uh, so I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting perspective. So you want to keep talking about that, Matt? Do you mean do you mean like the crying wolf thing? And if your opinion, yeah, I, mean, I was explaining why I thought people had a bigger interest investment in school brands, and you were also, in the middle no, of something, I think and it really kind of cut you off. I do think it's very obvious why people have uh, investment. I mean, literally, you can just talk about monetary investment. They've spent a certain amount of money in a school, and that mm-hmm. means something to them. And and when they went there, it was represented by a certain thing. It was represented by a seal. And if you change that seal, then do you change the like the value of their degree? And at that point, I don't mean monetary value anymore. I just mean the establishment, the institution, are you changing what that means to them? And people are saying that, yes, you're changing what it means to me. So I'm very upset about this. And I paid a lot of money and I put a lot of time in. And, you know, your college is not something you can really take away from you. I mean, once you go to a college, people are always going to ask you where you went. If, if something negative happens after you leave, I think you feel very helpless about the situation. I don't know, like imagine if your college went under after you left and then you tried to tell a, an employer you you went to that college and they're like, hey, didn't that go out of business? You'd be like, ah, yeah, well, it was good when I was there, but I'm really sorry. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly the point. I mean, because this is more, I can see this being more about people's resumes than, than you know, like a, a sports affiliation or any other affiliation that you could have with the university because that is the one major thing outside of past experience that people look at when they want to hire you. And if you have something like that, that you're, you've become ashamed of because of what's happened after you've left, you have, like you were saying, you're helpless. You have absolutely no control over that. And that could dictate whether or not you get hired by an employer because of something as stupid as like a, a rebrand or whatever, what, whatever repercussion. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was being have. callous before and saying your opinion, you know, you know, if your opinion's going to change every week, but th- this may be a situation where your opinion doesn't change. And you see this representation as a shift in philosophy. And you're very upset about that because this is a thing you have to carry. It's a tattoo. Like it's a thing you have to carry for the rest of your life. So, and, and that's what I think it is. I think it's that mm-hmm. it actually is a very successful rebrand, but it's successfully rebranding with a different vision than I think a lot of the alumni and students had for their own school, which I think is why we're seeing some of this outlash sure. or this backlash. People did not like to think of their school as, you know, a business that's trying to make money and something that's trying to be progressive and forward thinking and ready to accept the future. They want to have this sense of stability and timelessness and authenticity that everyone seems to be seeking in everything for all the reasons that we've talked about before. So I think that it's more that it is very successful. And that's why it's a problem, because it is highlighting the gap in perception between the higher institution, the people that are controlling the institution and making the decisions, and the students and faculty, everyone that's a part of it. That is interesting that they can't be like yeah. they can't find a medium. I mean, if if the institution has to look forward and say, look, because to 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 bring new students in, uh, in in if you want to be tech focused or or forward thinking or something, maybe that's that is the way you have to portray yourself and saying like, look, we're not going to teach you old skills that aren't going to get you new jobs. But if you're an old guy with an with a with an <laughs> with the skills uh, that, that you were taught previously, and everything changes, you don't want to be like, oh well, that did you just say you discounted my skills that you taught me? Because they they do have to kind of do that. Mm-hmm. They have to say, look, we're we're moving forward. We're going to teach you the new things, the new ways, and you just made these these old students obsolete. But it's you know what? It's making me as I'm saying it. It's making me rethink things. The world moves so fast. You have to you have to shift your focus so fast that. You are leaving people in the dust, and if you don't leave people in the dust, you are left in the dust. It makes yeah. a lot of sense as to why every single rebrand upsets everyone because 
you you have to move and you have to be quick on your feet. Just a reminder, you're being left behind, I guess. Yeah. And and you know what? It's the difference between <laughs> America now and the America the way we want to think of it. It reminds me of like Glenn Beck talking fondly about the 50s. I mean, talking fondly about the 50s is really great and it sounds awesome. But then you remember what the 50s represents and you're like, oh, maybe not so awesome. The, <laughs> yeah, the future, <laughs> yeah, it is scary. And if you're Urban not willing sprawl. to catch up to it, you're going to be left behind. <laughs> But also, remember racism? <laughs> remember women not being able to vote? Remember all the things about the past? There, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seeing all these people so upset about a rebranding and a mark for a school made me think about in my coworkers and, and roommates. Two of them are uh, graduates of Penn State. And Penn State has been going through a, a massive PR nightmare ever since the whole Sandusky scandal. Yeah. And to me, something like yeah. that affects a school's brand much more intensely than actually picking new shapes and colors for the school and having to... You know, I mean, I think they felt a degree of helplessness in watching not just how the schools responded to everything, but also how current Penn State students have responded to everything and like having a bunch of jackass Penn State students doing some stupid thing. And then the media seeing that as a representation of the entire student body and the entire alumni. And it's been interesting to see that because I've seen I mean, I think it's a much bigger deal, obviously, what's going on with Penn State and the Sandusky thing and all that stuff. And I think it stands to be much more harmful to the edu- to the institution than picking a new logo for everything. But um but I feel like the mm-hmm. discourse about that situation is much more thoughtful, whereas the discourse about this brand has been people mostly bitching and whining. And the thing that really got me was the, the change.org petition to to like revert the branding back to the old one, which I guess is not too surprising in light of all the stupid things people make petitions for. But that really was just like, it felt so silly to me. It's like, you're not going to, first of all, there's also like, if you get 50,000 signatures, then you're done with the petition and you did it, except that's not... That number just came out of nowhere. That doesn't mean anything. It's not going to change anything. No, I know. Oh God! When I the first the first thought I had when I saw that was kill yourself immediately. That is like the most <laughs> absurd thing. Is fifty thousand signatures to change the logo back, and that's gonna that's gonna work. That's gonna you're gonna seriously yeah. spend your time doing this. But okay, that was so crass. That could not be more crass. But the the dichotomy that is a problem for us. Is that we are we are I think designers are simultaneously saying shapes and colors are very important to your perception, but then when it fails, we are also saying, look, the shapes and colors aren't that important. Like the university <laughs> means something bigger than that. So like let's not forget yeah. that part of it. The reason people get so upset about design experts is because they're supposed to come in and make everybody think you're awesome, and then when everybody thinks you're an asshole, they go, well. This is silly. This is silly talk. It doesn't matter. So there, it's yeah. Worth yeah, I, I agree. I don't mean to do that something. about this. Um, I, I don't. I don't mean to take that position. I, I guess I'm just saying that. But you have to like. There is a certain grain of salt to people who get super upset about a logo. Who because they're never the people. I don't know. They're never people with opinions that matter, which is again super crass. But <laughs> what? The, I think what you just shit on America. What <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't like feeling feeling like I'm coming across this way, but no, I mean, let's what, take a like, stance. Why does your opinion matter? Explain to me if you have a thoughtful reason why your opinion matters. Cool, and if you have mm-hmm. some way to back it up, that's great. But just a million people yelling, we ha- you have to ignore a million people yelling. The world is just becoming a million people yelling. That's all the internet is anymore. Yeah, and I think those people would yeah. argue that. For all their investment in the school, especially their monetary investment, they have should at least have some say in it. And that's why their you know, voice is necessarily valid. 
But I mean, I, I agree. I think like the, the slacktivism of making that stupid petition is just a vent. And it's so, so ridiculous to, to do a thing like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, though, I think this is actually this is an interesting case because it's not simply a matter of like the gap being stupid and trying to make a logo and everyone freaking out because it looks ugly. It's really, I think, a matter of, like I said, the, the institution itself doing a really good job of representing what it wants to stand for. And a lot of the students and alumni reacting to that, not wanting to be with their institution is and, and represents. So I, I, I stand by the fact that I think the shapes and colors are really important. And I think that mm-hmm. that's why people are I think that's why people are, are mad, because they are feeling that disconnect the most for the first time after seeing this sort of you know new branding. Yeah, I will say that, like, I see two sides of it, or at least, like, two examples. One, I could see people getting upset if they were, like, merchandisers and they had to completely get rid of, like, all the old stuff and have to bring in, like, new stuff that was based off of the brand because they make stuff for, you know, alumni or whatever. I I could see them getting upset. On another side, I could see people who... Uh, like had just entered into UC Berkeley and it was the old facade. They went there just because that was what Berkeley was. And then two years, the three years of them into their degree process, they completely flipped everything. And it was just completely opposite of what they expected out of uh, what they're going to get, you know, even visually out of the, the university, I can see them getting a little bit pissed, but outside of that, I just, I can't really understand how something that is fundamental visual communication could be so detrimental to what Matt was saying, like the, the million people. I just don't understand that. I think that this is touches on another thing that's interesting about, especially big educational institutions in this country, which is that many students go there, not necessarily for their own self-improvement because they want to learn a thing or make themselves better, but because they want to be a part of a thing. And you see this, especially with, with big state schools and, you know, schools that have giant sports programs and a long heritage and a huge history. And people want to be Penn Staters and they want to be a part of that whole culture and like a part of that community. And like, Mm -hmm. for example, Micah, I loved Micah. I think it's a fucking great school. If they made their logo super ugly tomorrow, super corporate, I wouldn't give a shit. I got a great education out of Micah. I learned a whole bunch. I feel like I'm in a great place because of it. Like, let them, like, Mm -hmm. as far as what that community institution does, I I don't honestly care. I, I, I feel like I have a much healthier relationship with my educational institution than most people do. I think a lot of people end up going to a school because... They want it to identify them. They want, they want yeah. to. No, I mean, I, look, I've lived through some scattery brands and whatever. They switched to Gotham. My, my education, education <laughs> still counts. I, that was another thing I didn't get all that upset about. I will say that uh, Micah had a logo in the 80s that you can find on some thrift store T-shirts around here. That was just like this mm-hmm. hand lettered, like paintbrush style Micah mark with a big rainbow brush stroke below it. And I really wish nice. that was still the branding because that was so, so excellent. Well, thank so, God Pentagram solved that problem, huh? Yeah, if I could just go back to those <laughs> days. <laughs> but I – OK, so moving forward, I do like – I do I do wonder what moving forward looks like because we now know that this is the, the atmosphere we live in. This is the world we live in where everything you do is under scrutiny and people will react probably negatively to anything. I, I honestly cannot think of a rebrand – that is going to get people's positive attention. Can you guys think of a rebrand that that people loved right away? Hmm. I know it's going to take like twenty minutes, so I won't waste the podcast. I'll keep. I'll <laughs> keep thinking. You go ahead and keep talking smart yeah. words. So, yeah. what do we do moving forward? Do we design in public? I mean, I know during our you know very not so public design of on the grid logo, we <laughs> put it on the blog and, and let people talk about it. But you know that. That is so far from anything real. Mm-hmm. 
the the way to do it moving forward is it to say for UC to say here are the options and you can vote on it and tell us what you think is it everybody there who cares if you have a design background just everybody gets a chance and you get to submit your logo and we'll pick one is it here are the design firms that we want to choose here are their portfolios give us your voice who would you like to take a stab at like I, I can't think of a reasonable way moving forward to actually give people a voice. I know people feel like they're unheard, but how do you actually yeah. make people heard in this situation? Yeah, and that, that's a big question. I think I was in a program at MICA that was dedicated to like community design. So it was a really awesome program where small teams of students would work with local institutions or community organizations to help them in some way through design. And a big part of that process is figuring out how can we design something for this community, which we're not a part of, that will be meaningful to them. That's not going to feel like it's from an outsider and it has no connection. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the way of like involving them and asking them to, you know, ask, contribute designs and give them our ideas and vote on stuff is not the best way to do it because that ends up in crappy design. I think we all can understand how, how that works. But there is a degree of communication with that community that I think can definitely make something like this work. And I, I do struggle to think of a rebranding that has really been super successful, Matt. Uh, to your point. But I think what we're seeing here is not just that. I think if they had gone and spoken to the UC community and really gotten their input and figured out what these students wanted to represent and stand for, I think the result would have been that that's not what their vision for the institution was. So cool. Thanks to your input. We're actually going in a different direction with this. That Uh, that (laughs) actually might be true. But I mean, I've also been a part of um, rebrands where Actually, you know what? I've never not been a part of a rebrand where surveying the community wasn't part of it. You know, that is well. There like are lots just, of ways to yeah. do that, though, and some of them that's, are. That's know, my question now: is what does that mean to go ask the community? Okay, so I don't mean to harp on this one program, but so the program I was a part of, it, Micah, it was a whole semester long program, and the first half of the semester, so literally the first, I guess, eight weeks of the semester, we were not allowed to do any design work at all. The first yeah. eight weeks were just immersion. You would just go to the community, participate in the events, talk to people. And it wasn't like a matter of fill out the survey, get the answers to these questions, and then you're done. It was a matter of actually getting to know these people. And I think that there isn't a good way to quantify or make specific how you what this interaction is like. Like You can't say, ask this number of questions, and as soon as you've asked that many questions, that's enough, and you have enough of a connection. I think it's really on a very much a case-to-case basis. So I don't think it's impossible. I stand by that, but I, I do think that most people that do the surveys and try and out, you know, do outreach to their customers or their users or a community do it in a very, very shallow way. And, and okay. that's one of my biggest takeaways from this community design program is that you can't simply send out a survey, get the answers back, and think that means anything. No, that's actually, that's very true. Because, I mean, number one mm-hmm. is who wants to take a survey that nobody takes it seriously. You know, I, have you guys heard of Project M? Yes, of course. Yeah, so I did that in college. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, I think it's very similar to what you were talking about. Yeah, Project M is actually one of the big inspirations for the for the program at Micah. John Bielenberg is an advisor to it. Okay, then there you go. Oh, cool. Uh, what is it, Think Wrong? It's, yes. It's, I, I, I love my experience there. It was really fantastic. But it, it is hard for me to think about that coming into the world of business and marketing. And like as much as I don't want you know, my design work to be a part of the, the business and marketing world, it's just inevitable. Like that is the way the world works. And you know, maybe we should talk, uh, have a bigger conversation about changing that and being, being more effective with that. But in a, in a world with those are key components – I, I have a very hard time imagining my Project M experience overlapping with people in marketing, people trying to make money, 
people in an admissions mm-hmm. office, you know, because you then have to justify the cost of like spending, you know, however much time just immersing yourself in the people getting paid for that, that being a valuable experience before you rebrand and then extending the schedule however long. Like the fact that this took three yeah. years is pretty amazing to me. That's some serious dedication. So what should it take? 10 years and they should be, they should have gone to the school and maybe we should only hire designers who went to the school. It's just the logistics of it are a bit crazy. And if that went to into every rebrand project, Maybe a logo would never ever re- be redone. Which, hey, maybe that's what the the students wanted. But yeah, I think what you're getting at is is yeah. sort of the same thing I see a lot of students at Micah going through, which is they get really invested in this community based design and in doing altruistic work, and you know that's something they find really rewarding. And then the reality is, the harsh reality is that that's not a job. Like nobody does that for money. That's like true. Like the, the John Bielenbergs and the Emily Pillitons. I was absolutely that guy. And not to say I don't want to be that guy again, but look, man, there are deadlines. You are so wide-eyed and innocent. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's just a reality. Like, that's not how the world works. You know, big design agencies don't have any respect for that process, and you can't afford to work for the clients that most need it. That's just the reality. And also the thing of, like, getting someone to trust you to do that would be crazy. That's the worst part. Can you imagine a client trusting you to think that that really is the process and you're not just some wacko? Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, uh, coming from the guy who's worked in in-house teams for years, I mean, the, it, the whole immersion idea is just crazy talk. I mean, that's what working in-house is, right? You're immersed in it every single day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, let's yeah. be real, though. I mean, yeah, it's more about like, we need to have this thing done. Here's a deadline. You're just going to work until it's done. And we need to make sure that you're at a desk during most of that time to get yeah, it done. It's- like it's I, Tuesday and the event is Thursday. So I feel like that's way different. Like, cause I was the same guy coming out of college that I really just wanted to do those really meaningful things, really dig into it, get the whole experience and be able to make something that was amazing. And when I, you know, jumped into a bunch of in-house teams, I realized that no, it's a lot about thinking on your feet, getting shit done and then moving on to the next thing. And to a degree, I don't just want to accept that if that's not necessarily what's best for the design process. Like I don't, necessarily think we should just you know bend over and do what the business world oh, yeah, you no, know, I tells mean, us every, to do every part of my being wants to do what i think is right it's just you know i'm struggling personally to try to find the the the, the best way to be able to do that and mm-hmm. and to imagine that every single designer in the world can do that is just crazy to me yeah i, I feel like a big part of it is that businesses have to watch their dollars uh, that's a really big thing because they have to make sure that every dollar that they spend is spent wisely so it's uh, not so much of having to convince people that something like immersion is completely necessary. It's just having to show them that tangibly, like the, here's some uh, measurable things that you're going to get out of it, or here's some deliverables that you will get out of it. Here's the amount of time we think it's going to take. And then from there, we can tell you what the next step is. I I feel like that's a step that uh, is missed a lot of time. In and actually, culture. let's not forget that. Let's say we take the Project M approach. It's very thoughtful. It's very sensitive. There's still no guarantee that the backlash doesn't happen. No, you can never guarantee that. So that's definitely not what that approach would be about. I think that it just shows a level of investment in your current community that we don't see from most rebranding projects. And I think this is actually maybe the exception where it wasn't a matter of them not, you know, knowing what students and faculty thought of the school. It was just a matter of that not being in line with what the vision for the school was from the from the brass up top. Yeah, no, that's fair because we're yeah. we're going down this rat hole of of what it could be and what it should be. But 
Mm-hmm. It, I think you're very. I think you're right, Andy. It was. Yeah, a I, I don't mean to say too that I don't mean to say that every designer should be taking the social design approach and doing all the immersion and the you know intense sort of stuff. Just that I think that that is a model that will allow you to be much more closely connected to the community you're designing for. And it's a shame that the business world is not accommodating of it because I do think that that can work in a more authentic way than our current models for trying to measure communities or users or customers. Yeah. I mean, you know, you Mm -hmm. know what it is though? There's, there's, um, there's a part of me that just thinks that like the designers that take that approach end up in a career that kind of just preaches that approach and doesn't actually do it. You know, like in the, in, in the things we're talking about, generally the careers that those generate are furthering that idea, but not actually practically applying them, which is like, yeah, nobody, nobody is a social designer. Everyone is a teacher of the social design uh, things. Emily Pilton and John Bielenberg, you know, teach that, and that's great. And I think there's a ton to be mm-hmm. learned about regular design, normal design, practical design from that approach. So I don't think it's not valuable. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying, like, I haven't seen it take over a design firm or something. And hopefully, oh, someone yeah. can email me and tell me that I'm that there is an example and I'm wrong. I haven't heard of it yet. I haven't seen it yet. And there's something to note about that. And it might it might be as simple as like, look, this is my life. I only have a certain number of years to live. This is what I believe. I know I you know, I know what the current world can and cannot accept. And I'm just going to teach this because I honestly believe this. And, you know, who knows if that's where I'll end up to. I don't know. But Hmm. it's very notable. We got an email a few weeks ago from uh, Annie Stoll. Uh, I'll read her email right now so we can just fill in the audience. Uh, She says, Hiya, I've been a lurker on your subreddit and have really enjoyed your podcast. I recently moved to NYC from Buffalo to pursue design. I thought I'd email you and ask if you'd do a cast or part of one about advice for designers on the job hunt, approaching prospective jobs, portfolios, and all that jazz. Thanks, Annie S. So I, I thought we could take a little bit of time at the end of this show to sort of give uh, Annie some advice, Annie and other people out there that are, you know, on the hunt looking for jobs, whether they're recent grads or not, about, you know, what our advice is. I mean, I think we, we took three different paths, and I think that yeah. we have sort of different opinions yeah. on what someone that's looking for a job should uh, should do. So advice to a recent graduate. We're not so far from that. We're, what, two no. years out? So uh, what's your guys' advice? So, you know, I would say, okay, so let's say you want to go down my path. You want to go to an established design firm, an agency, something, and you'd like to, you know, hopefully make some sort of an impact, right? You want to you want to be the lead on some project or you'd like to take up a very significant redesign. I feel like I kind of happened to get myself there. I have no idea how that really happened. But the, the things I do know, you know, coming in, you know, here's what I can say. I can say what I know about, you know, when I look at interns and, and how I know they're going to work out or not work out. One thing you have to do is just humble humble yourself immediately the second you get out of design school because mm-hmm. whatever you did in design school, however good your por- portfolio is, you're kind of you you all you have to reestablish yourself all over again. You you have to just kind of say I'm willing to work on anything and I have to say don't question, just do. Just show what you can do. Don't be the person that that kind of argues every point and and tries to make it very clear that they're super thoughtful about everything because that that there is a point where that is valuable and especially like not not just when you're 50 like a, a couple of years away that will be super valuable and you'll be asked to make decisions but first you have to prove that you can do before you can prove that you can think and 
proving you can think, you know, a year or two years in is going to be super valuable, but you kind of mm-hmm. just have to be the grunt that's an awesome grunt before anybody trusts you to do anything. Mm. Interesting. So I, my advice actually might even be the opposite of that. Uh, in that, it's, if you want to start your own thing, or well, no, just, no, no, no. So no, I, first of all, that's actually, I, go ahead. First of all, I will say that yeah. I do not advise anybody to start their own thing ever. Uh, my advice is do not start your own thing. It's super hard for a million reasons. I could spend a whole show talking about. Uh, do not do that. Unless you want to tell me to go shove it, in which case maybe you should go do it. But uh, I think my advice was going to be that uh, we're actually in the position now where we're hiring a few people. So I'm in actually, you know, hiring designers at this point, which is a very interesting place to find myself in. And I, th- oh, cool. I think um, something I look for and something that, you know, did me well when I graduated in terms of getting job offers was not necessarily showing my work and showing my craft and, you know, all the little technical details I learned in design school because, it's easier to find somebody that knows that kind of stuff. Like that's not super hard to find, honestly. Um, But what really helped me out actually was, you know, being critical and thoughtful. And, you know, for example, I wrote a post uh, about Kickstarter um, on my blog a few months before I graduated, Uh, just a thoughtful post. It was a little bit critical. It was talking about the Kickstarter model and how it might grow in the future because I was interested in it and I was going to put a project on Kickstarter. Um, And that led to a conversation with the Kickstarter people because they were interested in a design student that was graduating soon that was so thoughtful about what they were actually doing. Um, And uh, from my perspective, as someone that might be hiring a designer, I'm looking for people that, you know, care and are passionate and are very thoughtful. And from my perspective, the the craft and stuff is is easier and can always be taught and can always be improved and coached and art directed, whereas I feel like a lot of the thoughtfulness cannot be. And that may be because I have not worked necessarily in a big agency situation like Matt's talking about. So depending on where you want to go, that's different. But um, yeah, I think my advice is to sort of uh, do you. Just be you, man. And uh, don't try and make yourself into something else to get some job anywhere because that's never a good model. I, you can always tell the people when they come in for interviews and they're just trying to say what they think is the right thing to say and sort of fit in. Yes. Yeah. And that, nothing, mm. nothing could rub me the, the, the worse than that. that. That's a bad rub. No, actually, no, yeah. I, I do agree with that. It's just kind of like, to me... Yes, the craft can be taught, but also it should be a given coming in. You know, like I would I would rather hire a person that's just kind of like they already know what they're doing. And now now we're going to learn how well they can do it. Like, I, I don't really want to spend a whole lot of my time teaching someone the basics of how to do something. I feel like that's the thing you should know coming out of school. No, exactly. And that's kind of my point, actually. Is that the yeah. basics should be there. If you're you know yeah. coming out of school with a degree, I certainly hope that you are good enough that you can sit down and do some sketches for something. And it's it's when it comes to actually you know, refining that craft and finding the voice of the agency or company you're working for, that's the kind of stuff that I think can be coached. So I'm not necessarily looking for a rock star designer that can make the most beautiful, stunning thing I've ever seen when right. I'm looking to hire people. Mm-hmm. I'm specifically looking for people that have a similar mentality to us and a similar design approach and a similar respect for the design process. And when it comes to yeah. like picking the right colors and shapes, obviously there has to be a base level, a fundamental functional skill. And then beyond that, I feel like it can be, you know, it's more flexible than necessarily someone's approach, which is more ingrained. Actually, what I was going to say is that it's, you know, you do kind of learn the difference between your job, Andy, and my job is that you do kind of learn what your boss or what your firm kind of believes in in design and you learn the decisions that they'll make. That because that's that's exactly like picking shapes and colors. Luis Fali is going to make a very different decision than my boss, Michael Garricky. Like those are they they are both great designers but they mm-hmm. do the end result is different so you're going to learn what the person you're working for thinks about design 
and then how they would execute it. So that's like that's why I think the um, the you being a rock star designer is not so important to me. Like if you can make a thing beautiful, that's great. And there are there are the kind of certain there's a certain level where that's very important. But beyond that, like you kind of have to be representing your boss. You know, it's, it reminds me of like if, if someone were writing for Jimmy Fallon or Jay Leno or something like you learn their voice. And I would say the same thing in a design firm. You have to learn the person you're working for's voice. And that's why the, the mm-hmm. craft of it has to be there and you have to be ready to go with that because the part you're learning is what who you're representing and what you're representing. Mm-hmm. The other big no, thing too, I would true. say, which is a really top level sort of advice really to anybody seeking a job in today's modern workforce is just to like get your hustle on. Like don't be afraid to cold call people. Don't be afraid to show up at offices, portfolios. Oh, yeah. Like just, you know, do uh-huh. whatever you got to do. Have no shame and, and don't adhere to like the structured. If you're applying for a big job too, don't adhere to the structured application process. And like, I mean, do that stuff obviously, but go above and beyond if it's something you know you really want. If the people don't respond positively to that, then don't work for them. They're they're not the kind of people you should be working for. And and never be afraid to apply, especially with the alternative methods that you were talking about, Andy. Never be afraid to like yeah. call or call again or anything. Go like to that places that don't have the, jobs listed that have no, you know, not, not seeking applications. If you're really interested, and just talk to them. And if they're not going to hire you, they might tell you someone that might hire you. I mean, just get out there and talk to people and yeah. get your hustle on. There are a lot of places that yeah. just don't list jobs, and they just oh yeah, no, absolutely. Expect they they try to find people through other people. You know, they try to uh, do referrals because. Listing jobs is not necessarily a good approach. Like everyone no. comes out of the woodwork. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. But yeah. you know, I do want to say too, when I was saying just be a grunt, I don't totally mean that. Part of it, I mean, part of it too is just proving that you have good judgment. If you prove that you have terrible mm-hmm. judgment, and because there, like <laughs> there are a lot of things that just can't be explained. Like there, nobody has time to explain every little detail. So mm-hmm. if you can prove that you can make a really solid judgment call. That's another thing. And and part of it might be – it might seem like the easiest thing in the world. But if you have to – I feel like it's a combination of like knowing when to ask a question and also knowing when to just go for it. Like does every does any designer ever want to be called and be like, should I shift of to the next line because the rag would be better or should I keep it there? And you're like if you're going to call me on every single one of those, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. But the other thing is like – don't send that to the client before I saw it because you wanted to make a judgment call. So somewhere in between those two things, you do need to be able to make judgment calls if you're going to prove anything to anyone. Yeah. yeah, And I actually agree with both of you guys on certain parts. I think my, my biggest message coming from, I guess, the third angle is uh, two things that I've always done. It's honesty and humility. Because I've gone into plenty of job interviews before, and I've done tons of jobs. I haven't been just a designer. I've been a front-end engineer, a web administrator, all sorts of shit. And uh, the one thing going into any job interview, uh, whether or not I really appreciated the place or not, was if they asked me something that I didn't know, a skill set I didn't know yet, I would honestly say, I don't know. I am interested, but right now... I wouldn't be able to be dependent upon to be able to execute something in this language or in this method or whatever, because there's so many people that I've interviewed in the past that have ended up lying doing that. And there's been a couple that have actually been hired and we've proven that they didn't know anything of that particular skill set that, uh, that really, really messes. No, actually, up you know because, what, I, Dan, I totally agree. The, the humble thing is like such an important thing. Yeah. And just just to be to be humble about everything is is really important because I don't know I, sometimes you don't know what you're getting yourself into 
And the worst is a cocky employee. Everybody hates that. And from my perspective, <laughs> from my perspective, I have to walk into every meeting with a level of, of confidence. Otherwise, no one's going to hire yeah. me. So, but you're but you're you're being perceived as the expert, right? There are actually there are two moments in my life. There's the there's the walking into a meeting where I'm being somebody saying that I'm the expert, and then at that moment I have to be. And then there's the moment yes. where I'm talking to someone higher than me, and I I have to not be. Those two yeah, things can exist yeah. simultaneously. Simultaneously. Yeah, Dan, Dan, yeah, Dan's approach of humility is interesting because I, I definitely don't like the fake it till you make it bullshit. Like, do not put something in your resume if you don't know it. it you're not going to be able to learn all of JavaScript overnight when you get that job. Like, just don't <laughs> fucking do it. You're going to shoot yourself yeah. in the foot. But at the same time, my motto for going through life has been to, you know, have more confidence than I think I do. And that's served me well, at least for me. So I, I don't know. I, I try to have as much confidence in myself as possible when I'm doing anything because I've always found that to result in the best end result. But yeah. Yeah. And uh, for me, it's always a high level of confidence, but I think I'm much more, I'm very German about it. I'm very exact. Like, I don't know this, so don't depend on me. I do know this. So you can depend on me every time for the skill set. No. And the one last thing, uh, I guess getting into the job is to never let yourself discontinue learning ever. Because the one thing that I make sure to do every time I jump into a new job is try to learn a new skill set or learn a new methodology or anything that is outside of what I already knew. Because at that point, I've uh, learned new programming languages. I've learned how to do things differently uh, with teams. I've learned how to work with developers better, with product guys better, with uh, the, the chiefs better. And all that does is just make you an overall better person that are skill sets that you're not going to learn in a classroom. Yeah, ever. definitely. I mean, seek a job. It's going to challenge you. And don't I mean, I know, Matt, you mentioned sometimes grunt work is necessary, but you know, don't let yourself get disrespected. You know, there's no reason why someone that's 22, 23 should be working 10 hour days and, you know, not having a life. So I've seen too much of that, I think, in the design community of young designers being sort of sucked of all their skill and, and effort and passion while they're still young and right out of school. Especially passion. And, and just, just, just don't settle for that. Like you deserve part. to be treated better, Annie. I know you do. So, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, find a job that challenges you and also does not just think it deserves to be your entire life. And, uh, yeah, I will still say we are young guys. We're 20, 24, 25. So also whoa, we're whoa. not, the, we're also not the boss. So <laughs> you did, you did email us knowing that, right? Thank you for the email, Annie. Anybody else out there has any emails? We're always happy to receive them and usually prompt ish to respond. So, uh, yeah, please send them our way to mail at onthegrid.co. Yes. Thank you. This has been On The Grid, episode 22. You can email the show, mail at onthegrid.co, call us, 973-ONGRID2, tweet links to hashtag onthegrid. If you want to submit a link, visit us at onthegrid.reddit.com. If you enjoy the show, please review it on iTunes. Thanks to Girlfriends for the music. Thanks to you for listening. Until next week.